I'm Tim Yancey, inviting you to explore the fascinating realm of the paranormal. Ghosts and hauntings, Bigfoot, UFOs, and alien abductions. Join me live every Sunday evening at 9 p.m. with the foremost authorities and experts in the world regarding the mysterious realm of the unexplained. The Encounters Paranormal Radio Series, as heard on WBZT, 1230 a.m. Hey, hey, it's Wolfman Mac from Wolfman Mac's Nightmare Cinema. We're hanging out at the Haunted Winery here in Warren, Michigan with the good folks from the Ghostly Talk. Oh, this place is creepy, man, but nowhere near as creepy as Wolfman Mac's Nightmare Cinema. It's a haunted drive-in, babies, and you know what we do there? We host classic B-horror and sci-fi movies, just like the ones you grew up with when you was a kid. But it's at Wolfman Mac's Nightmare Cinema right now hosting... On public access TV all over Metro Detroit. But guess what, kiddies? It's coming to you. And all you got to do is have a computer. Just go to Wolfman Max Nightmare Cinema. It's NightmareCinema.com. We'll be broadcasting the show real soon, right from the website. Stay tuned. It's Wolfman Max Nightmare Cinema.
When you flashed, I saw what looked like a figure standing in the hall. Okay, this is Green Team. We're ready for EVP sweep. That is weird. These cameras don't do this. Water supposedly will come off and on in various rooms. What's that our EMF meter started this morning? You're listening to the number one source for paranormal evidence brought to you firsthand by real investigators in the field. No hoaxes, no disinformation. You're listening to The Ghost Project. I found myself face to face with someone or something that was attempting to play with my psyche as well as my physical being. How sure are you of that? I'm 100% sure. I say, Sean B., I've been thinking about all the things necessary to produce a proper paranormal broadcast. Mm, do tell, Nathan S., what are these vital qualities? Empathy, commitment, quiet dignity, and self-respect. Indeed. What a shame we don't have any of those traits. Oh, yeah, the Ghost Man and Demon Hunter show is rocking its way on the supernatural scene. It's drive-time paranormal broadcasting without the driving or the timing. Just go to www.ghostandhumans.com. Think you know what goes up in the night? You ain't heard nothing yet. Each week, we'll be bringing you the best and the worst kept secrets in the paranormal community. Yeah, us, the Ghost Man and Demon Hunter, Sunday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. www.ghostanddemon.com. The Ghost Man and Demon Hunter. You're listening to Ghostly Talk with Doug, Scott L., and Bonnie. Since 1967, that would be 41 years ago, I know this because I just turned 41, Stanton T. Friedman has lectured on the topic, flying saucers are real. At more than 600 colleges and over 100 professional groups in 50 states, 9 provinces, and 16 other countries. He's published more than 80 UFO papers and appeared on hundreds of radio and TV programs, including Ghostly Talk. Years ago. Yes, many years ago, and and it's so good to have him back. He is the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident and co-authored Crash at Corona, the definitive study of the Roswell incident. Top Secret Magic, his... uh, Hmm. His explosive book about the Majestic 12 group that uh, established in 1947 to deal with crash saucers was published in 1966 and went through 1996, six. I'm sorry, 1996, <laughs> and went through six printings. I had read ahead to that six, and I just <laughs> added it, you know, and there you go. Yep. The second edition, with a new 5,000-word afterward, was published in... September 2005, and is in its second printing. Stan was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award at Leeds, England in September 2002 by UFO Magazine of the UK. A documentary, Stanton T. Friedman is Real, was broadcast in Canada in 2002. The website is www.stantonfriedman.com, and Ghostly Talk would love, love to welcome back Stanton Friedman to the show. Welcome back. 
Glad to be here again. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm wondering how cool it must be to be that cool that they actually do a special on you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, the producer of it was my nephew, Paul Kimball, and that was his first uh, UFO-related uh, television program. Uh-huh. He wanted to pick something he could find out a lot about easily, something interesting, something exciting, so he picked me. <laughs> and I agree. Well, I agree. You are interesting and exciting. And uh, I, I've been dying to talk to you because just a, just a little bit ago, a friend of mine and I um, decided. Oh I'm about to just pull my mic out now. It's all you, Doug. <laughs> that we are going over the 4th of July weekend to Roswell, New Mexico for the, a- the annual Alien Festival. Uh, to me, it looks like it could be Mardi Gras for geeks, <laughs> and I am I am ultra ultra excited about it. Stanton, have you been you you've been around to all the you know the conventions everything like that? This this alien festival in Roswell, New Mexico, over the Fourth of July weekend it, is it is it as, is it everything that I'm thinking of? Well, it depends. There are actually going to be two festivals, uh, if you want to call them that. Uh, two two major events for visitors to Roswell. Uh, one is the museum will be having a number of us speaking on one of those. And then downtown, a little competitive action here in town. The city is putting on a, a, a festival, and they got a bunch of speakers at the uh, all the community facility. Uh-huh. And there'll be all kinds of things going on in town and uh, the media there. I was there, of course, for the 60th anniversary last last year and signed an awful lot of books. And uh, I was there for the 50th and a whole bunch in between. Um, I don't get a cut of the action on this, you understand. (laughs) Without me, there would be no Roswell Festival. Pretty much. I agree. Well, I have to say, I, I, I have to go to whatever one of the things you are at, because uh, I absolutely uh, can't wait. I'll, I'll probably be sort of blended in. Uh, Wear your ghostly talk t-shirt. Well, that's the thing. In in the UFO community, I'm, I'm fairly not known. Yeah, but if you wear a ghostly cool. talk t-shirt, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. How about a Stan Friedman is real t-shirt? There I you go. Make that up. Hey, that care. sounds good. Yeah. I, I may even have some copies of the video there just to make it exciting for people who want to go with that sort of thing. I think <laughs> there that would be awesome. Why don't you get so. one of those shirts made up and then you'll stick out really good. And then, and then well, you can hook up with Stanton. I think that would be cool. Hot pink. A hot yeah. pink Stanton team. T- Stanton Friedman is real yeah. T-shirt. <laughs> hot that pink. And you know, it'll green be hat. Yeah. I, well, I can guarantee you one thing: it'll be hot in Roswell yes. uh, in the summertime. It gets uh, warm down there, very dry, but hot. Uh, well, and the sun beats down on you, and better wear some. Uh, sunburn preventer because you can get cooked in a hurry. That would be awesome. I, I hope I come back looking um, you know. Pink. Yeah. Pink. Not, not pink. The same I would, color I would, as that shirt you're going to wear. I want to look brown. I want to look dark, deep brown. But <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, if, if, if I do wear this outfit that you guys are talking about and Stanton sees me in the crowd, he is going to indeed call security. <laughs> the guy was for real. I can't believe this, this guy did what he said he was going to do on that show. <laughs> and well, you know, I should mention it. In case people are wondering, uh, Roswell is at about 3,500 feet in altitude. Uh-huh. So you burn you burn quicker yes. at higher altitude. Yes, the you UV do. gets through better. And uh, I learned my lesson a number of years ago. 
Well, I, I apparently, I apparently um, fake bake. Uh, that's a new term to me. I never heard it before. You never heard of fake and bake? I've never He's heard never of fake heard bake. Heard it. But I, I evidently I do. I heard that in junior high. I do go to tanning salons and stuff, so my my skin will not be pristine when I arrive. It will be already pre darkened. So I'm hoping that that will help protect me somewhat. But yes, indeed, I will wear protection from that that nasty sun that you uh-huh. can't control. Yes. So you're going to be out at this event, though, Stanton, uh, obviously, and probably yeah. going to watch out for Doug now. Yes, <laughs> he's going to be running from me most of the time. <laughs> yes. Well, I do a lot of uh, meeting and greeting in Roswell, uh, an awful lot of people. You know, everybody's got a digital camera these days. Oh, yes. And they, they come in, they want to buy the book, they want me to sign the book, okay, and then they want their picture taken with me. Uh-huh. So I don't know whether they think that if they buy the book, I'll, I'll be kind enough to pose, and they don't even buy the book. But, you know, <laughs> it, I don't complain about that. But what I'm saying is I, I find that because of all these television programs that I've done, uh-huh. uh, people recognize me. And so that makes me, quote, a TV celebrity, it says here. <laughs> <laughs> and I get all these people tell me, oh, I saw you on... I watched everything you've done, and, you know, I don't know how they know that, of course, but uh, <laughs> uh, they don't often get a chance to be close to somebody who's been on Larry King. That's wow. true. You <laughs> were on Larry King, weren't you? I was on July 13th, and I was on January 18th. So Yeah, uh, that, that's just this year you were on. Yeah, January 18th. Yeah, and I was year. also on way back in 1994, out near Area 51. Ooh. Oh. I don't know if any of you remember that show. That was one of the weirdest places I've ever done a show. You're out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. just outside Rachel, Nevada, across from the uh, Little Ailey Inn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Area 51's over that hill over there. And we're on this big set out in the open. And it got cooler, and Larry buttoned up his coat, and we're waiting for the saucer to come up over the hills. <laughs> <laughs> that was a two-hour uh, TNT show, actually. Uh-huh. It illustrated one of the problems you have in this business. Um, I asked early in the afternoon one of the uh, producers, wasn't the one I'd been dealing with, uh, I said, are you going to take calls out here? I mean, we're literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. And she says, oh, yeah, the calls have come into Atlanta, and they'll go to that truck that nobody will see that's way over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we'll screen them very carefully because, of course, most people don't believe in UFOs. And oh. which I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> the, polls, the polls all say most people do believe in UFOs, and the greater the education, the more likely to believe in UFOs. And I quoted some numbers and stuff. But the damage was already done because they had about ten clips of different quote, experts. I mean, there was, would you believe, Captain Kirk telling us that, uh, oh, there aren't any flying saucers. People just want Big Brother to come down and help them, you know, like he was an astronaut or something. William Shatner was there. You're talking about William Shatner. Well, there was a they clip used of a clip Oh, Captain, there was a clip. Okay, all right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and they used a clip of Carl Sagan, and they used uh, about ten clips altogether. It was a two-hour show. And the kicker was that most of them were negative because of their totally wrong perception that most people don't believe in UFOs. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's why one of the chapters in my new book, Flying Saucers and Science, which should be out in late May, uh-huh. uh, deals with the polls because 
people say, hey, wait a minute, you said flying saucers in science. What are you talking about opinion polls for? That's not science, is it? Well, yes, it is, because A, how you take the polls, uh, you've got to be careful, uh, you know, how representative your sample is and how you ask the questions and all that stuff. But much more important, it turns out that how people behave is determined by their perception of how other people believe and think. They may be wrong, but it determines their actions. And as an example of that, I was in a class of 100 students. I often do classes on campus. And I said, I want to find out what you think about some things, but I don't want you to be influenced by the other students in the class. So I want you to answer my question with your eyes closed. <laughs> and most of them did close their eyes. I said, your instructor and I will count the votes. And it turns out, make a long story short, 80% thought most people didn't believe in UFOs, and yet 80% of that group did believe in UFOs. Oh. So there's a disconnect here. In other words, will you report a sighting? Well, not if you think most people are going to laugh at you. Mm -hmm. Will you sponsor a Ph.D. thesis? There have only been about a dozen. Will you teach a course? Mm -hmm. uh, there have been some. But again, the perception that you will be considered some kind of a nut is dominant. I ask my audiences at the end of my lecture, how many people here believe they've seen what I would consider to be a flying saucer? And the lecture being flying saucers are real. They know I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> and uh, so I said, you know, just raise your hand. We didn't let the CIA in. And I start counting, pointing and counting. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. I'm looking around the room, you know. The time I get to the other side, the hands go up rapidly. At the beginning, they're hesitant. They know I'm not going to laugh, but how about everybody else here, you know? Yeah. And so typically it's 10% of the audience. That's more people than have had polio, incidentally. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's the standard, but uh, <laughs> but then I asked, ask, how many of you reported what you saw? Ninety percent of the hands go down. Oh. And the biggest reason given me at my table when they want to talk and tell me about their sighting, because i got to tell somebody, you know, the biggest reason given when I say, well, how come you didn't report it? They think I was some kind of a nut. So I'm trying to lift the laughter curtain, let people know that it's okay. And this applies, of course, to the media. Uh -huh. uh, if they think that uh, the boss editor is going to laugh at them if they treat the subject seriously, they won't treat it seriously. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the major difficulties here, in other words, is to get past that laughter curtain. Now, I'm lucky. They trust me, and they will talk to me. And incidentally, my third question, after 90% of the hands have gone down, is how many of you were in the military at the time? Uh. I still got some hands. I'll say, you want to tell us about it? Whoops, now I've trapped them. <laughs> <laughs> I got one guy in front of 1,350 people at East Texas State University says, I can't, they told me not to say anything, which was a wonderful line. <laughs> yeah, nice and I had, yeah, I get some very interesting stories that way that I would never get if I hadn't sort of done this little uh, game playing with them to isolate them and get them to talk. So one of the things I'm also out to do is to get people to tell about their, uh, I'll call it military UFO adventures, because um, there are loads of them. Uh, there's a new book out, uh, Shoot Them Down, by Frank Ficino, Jr. I wrote the forward and the epilogue for it, about the events of 1952, which included the Flatwoods Monster on September 12th, West Virginia, that is. Yeah. But also, we were able to show 
that orders were given to military people, shoot pilots, shoot them down if they don't land when instructed to do so. Ooh, wow. You, you can think of all the cartoons that can go with that, and there's a lot of them. But <laughs> the point is that a general also made the public statement. This wasn't in the New York Times or the Washington Post, but we did find it in legitimate newspapers. Uh, one Air Force general said, we scrambled more than 300 times. Wow. That's something Frank did that nobody else has done. He went through the New York Times for like 1950 to 1955 and determined that more than 200 military planes crashed, almost all of them in the United States, and that in 60-some cases, the pilots didn't bail out. And I'll warn you, if you talk to any military Air Force types from that era, they'd say, you're crazy. What do you mean they didn't bail out? Of course they bailed out if there was a problem. Well, they didn't. And three of the pilots, believe it or not, had over 100 missions in Korea where there were MiGs trying to shoot them down, you know. Uh And uh, they come back to the United States. They survived over 100 missions. And there were no MiGs flying over the United States at that time, I'm reliably told. And they crash. That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, those, are, those are experienced pilots. Experienced pilots in combat conditions, they survive. You come back to a, yeah. you know, a, a clear, essentially a clear sky, and you crash. Yeah. And you and don't follow protocol and eject. Yeah. And I should tell you this, that I have heard seven different, on seven different occasions, about more pilots going up than to chase UFOs that came back down. Hmm. So that's kind of scary. But uh, And people say, well, wait a minute, Stan. You're telling us that the public wasn't told about this. And I say, yeah, I'm telling you that. And they say, now, come on. Families surely were told what happened to their sons, brothers, fathers, whatever. I said, well, let me give you a good example of uh, governments not telling families on There was a book published in 2001 by a William Burroughs, B-U-R-R-O-W-S, journalist, history professor, other things. It's called By Any Means Necessary. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of a number of American reconnaissance planes that were, uh, what's the polite term? They were tickling the radar over North Korea, China, and Russia back in the late 40s, early 50s, mostly before we got satellite coverage. And these planes were shot down. 166 crew members died. Many of them oh uh, did uh, bail out and were apparently captured and tortured and all kinds of other things. You know what? The Russians didn't say anything, or the Chinese, or the North Koreans, and neither did the American government until a big conference was called of the families in 2001, mind you, and medals were given out, and the people found out what had happened to their family members. So for people who think governments won't, couldn't, didn't keep secrets, they're full of baloney because they did. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we've got a, a, one of the chapters in, in the book, Flying Saucers and Science, is the Cosmic Watergate, uh, with a lot of examples of governments not telling the public about big, expensive programs. I don't mean four professors and six grad students. Uh-huh. I mean, like uh, the Corona spy satellite program 
first successful one got more data about the Soviet Union military installations than all the U-2 flights that had preceded it. Mm -hmm. That was 1960. There were a bunch more successful flights. First public discussion about Corona was 1995. 35. And believe me, yeah. that involved thousands of people. Because you've got to design you know, the launch system and you've got to design the, the, the business end of the satellite and then the systems for receiving the data and transferring it. All kinds of things. A lot of people involved. Not one word in public. That's one of a number of programs that I talk about in the book. But mm. I say this, what I'm trying to say here is it's time for us to get real. And I'd certainly like to hear from people who are listening that may know about a pilot who went up and didn't come back. Mm. That would be nice. I'm sure I'm looking for Roswell witnesses and I'm looking for people uh, you know, who have exciting stories to tell. And it's the, I, I look for military stuff because who else has got fancy radar systems monitoring the sky? Well, yeah, exactly. Who else, know, who else is in a position to get information from a pilot chasing a UFO who sees it, who sees it on his radar and talks to the ground and they see it on their radar? You and I don't hear about those. No. Mm -mm. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on out there, and I should stress, of course, that I worked under security for 14 years. So I know something about security. I don't need to make up any stories. <laughs> the real world is strange enough. Uh -huh. now, also, I've been to 20 archives, and I am so sick and tired of the armchair theorists. My book, Top Secret Magic, M-A-J-I-C, deals with... Uh, the Majestic 12 papers, and oh, you see all kinds of people saying, oh, everybody knows they're a fraud, except Friedman, he won't admit it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I go through details. I don't make up explanations. I go to the archives, I check the documents, and I have refuted all the anti-arguments, not that you'd know it from those arguments still being made, but it, it, it's really crazy how people are quite willing to speak out about stuff about which they know nothing. Mm. And at least one of them paid me for proving him wrong. That was the late Philip Class. He was a, a noisy negativist, to be polite. Uh, Phil felt it was his job as an avionics editor for Aviation Week and Space Technology to say all UFO sightings have prosaic explanations. And all those Majestic 12 documents are fraudulent and he challenged me on the typeface on one of them that was found in the National Archives, mind you, mm -hmm. uh, that it was a large pica type. But it should have been the small elite type. And I've got nine documents from the National Security Council to prove it. <laughs> and he offered me $100 each for every genuine document I could find. It had to, be, had to be signed and all kinds of other things. Done in the same size and style type. But he set a limit of 10, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's coming. He never had been to the Eisenhower Library. I've spent weeks there. And after sending him 14 and an invoice for $1,000, he sent me the $1,000. Wow. Oh. Well, uh, he didn't tell anybody about sending me the 1000 He told everybody about challenging me. He got very mad at me when I included it. the copy of the check and a report that I did in 1990. I'm including it in the book, too. He threatened to sue me. Really? I, I said, Phil, you sent me the check. I Xeroxed it. I went to the bank. They cashed it. It mm. was good. 
I can do whatever I darn please with this here. Yeah. <laughs> well, he sounds I, though. If, you know, since he he didn't sue you, did he? I oh, mean, he threatened to. He threatened to. After finding yeah. out that I had enclosed well, this check, he well, threatened to sue me, and well, I, I, that's when I told him, you know, forget it. <laughs> just, just by keeping his word, though, and, and actually sending the check, that's that's an honorable thing, I think. And another honorable thing would oh, be yeah. to go to break. Yeah, so I think we need here. to go to break. And then I want to ask you uh, just a few questions about changing public perception real quick, and then we can uh, okay. get into some really good UFO stuff. Uh, but Oh, you guys, the, the website is www.stantonfriedman.com, and of course the, the book that's coming out uh, in May, right, is um, Flying Saucers and Science, and it's going to really stir some things up. So, oh, yeah. oh, it'll make a lot of people angry. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So uh, so think about that during the break. Uh, load up stantonfriedman.com to learn more about who we're talking to, and uh, listen to some good independent music during this break. Would you like to listen to Ghostly Talk Live on your cell phone? Perhaps you have a comment for us or our guests. All you have to do is dial 605 Four seven five eight five nine zero. When asked for the conference code, dial five 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 one zero eight one, followed by the pound sign. Hi there. When I need to quench my desire for the paranormal, only one thing can hit the spot. Mmm. I tune into Nightwatch with Todd Sheets, except no substitutes. When you need the real thing, tune in to Nightwatch, the only show that shudders and shakes and bumps in the night. And don't forget, Nightwatch is also available on iTunes for your portable paranormal pleasure. Nightwatch, paranormal radio for everyone. Why settle for less? Demand the best. Nightwatch. Mmm. Experience the charm and mystery of the deep sound through ghost stories by attending the highly respected Roswell Ghost Tour. Your experienced guide will lead you on this two-hour outdoor walking tour through the historic district of Roswell. One of the highlights of the tour is a visit to Founders Cemetery, the burial site of Roswell King, where bodies are buried beneath modern streets and houses. Grand Greek Revival mansions and humble mill workers' apartments are some of the haunted sites you'll see on this mile of easy walking. Check RoswellGhostTour.com for the current schedule. Tours run most Friday and Saturday nights year-round, and private tours may be arranged. Reservations are required. Call 770-649-9922. That's 770-649-9922 for more information. Happy haunting from Roswell Ghost Tours. This is Ghostly Talk. Happy Easter. 
Well, I think he's got out. Yeah. Oh, you meant to everybody. <laughs> oh. No, just us. Just me, just me <laughs> just and you. Just us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope there's some people listening. <laughs> <laughs> we don't yeah. promise that. We yeah. just promise an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think our moms are listening, so that'll be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the thing. I What struck me, Stanton, is that it's um, kind of similar in the ghost community, because, you know, we're called ghostly talk, and, and we talk about all things paranormal, including UFOs, but sure. it, it's kind of similar in that... Um, you know, reporting a ghost is, it's more like, um, you know, first you need to know who to talk to, because you're not going to walk up to anyone on, you know, and say, you know, I, I, I saw a ghost. You, you want to know that you'll be at least taken slightly seriously. So it's a similar kind of mindset, I think. Now with the ghost thing, you know, the TV and the media, and then of course we've got October, fortunately, uh, where pretty much the entire satellite lineup is ghost this, haunted that, you know, so we're, we're a little more fortunate and that it's getting out there and people are, are starting to talk about it more um but I, I i'm wondering you know like can you be fired for saying the, like I, I imagine in in some cases if you're a pilot or if you're some you know something like that that i saw a ufo but if you're if you're out you know um uh, plowing your field all you know all day and, and you see a ufo it's it, or, or if you're uh laying a new highway uh, if you're if you're out in the regular workforce, the the non-military regular workforce, uh, non air you know um, uh, aerospace, aerospace yeah. kind of thing, and so you're out in the, the the bulk of the workforce, and and you just happen to be out and about, and uh, you have an encounter. What would be the fears? Like, can you be fired? Do people well, really? persecute you because you say that you saw this or, or do people say hey you know what that's an interesting story what did it look like how, how is it usually perceived what wh- why are people holding back well they're holding back mainly because of the fear of how other people will respond and, and you're, you're certainly right there is a parallel here with stories about ghosts and other aspects of the paranormal and I will tell you this, the same four basic rules for debunkers are used, regardless of the subject they're attempting to debunk. What the public doesn't know, I'm not going to tell them. Don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. If you can't attack the data, attack the people. It's easier. And do your research by proclamation, because investigation is too much trouble, and nobody will know the difference anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard all of them. Uh, all of, of them have been used and against me, yeah. <laughs> the uh, one example recently, the reporter for the Stephenville, uh, Texas uh, paper, uh, lost her job for treating the subject seriously, uh, and that's pretty sad. Uh, Airline pilots certainly do worry about this because many of them have been told to keep their mouths shut. And it's fortunate there's an organization called NARCAP, uh, National Aviation Reporting Center for Anomalous Phenomena. (laughs) What a long moniker. Anyway, they've collected (laughs) thousands of pilot sightings um, because they don't reveal names and, you know, details and stuff like that. And so... It's the perception that matters. In other words, will your friends uh, laugh at you? Will they think less of you? Uh, I've had, when I ask my questions about who's had a sighting afterward, I've had, uh, at say, a dinner talk where I 
we all have dinner, and then I give a talk. Then later we're talking. Somebody said to their spouse, well, how come you raised your hand when he said, uh, when he asked about sightings? And he said, well, I had one. And, well, you didn't tell me about No, I thought you'd laugh at me. I mean, that's a spouse to spouse, mind you. Wow. So what I'm saying is that appears to be a major concern of people, that they be thought reasonably well of by other people. And the government has taken advantage of this uh, in encouraging a, a negative attitude. I mean, look at the, the response to Roswell. The two government um, books, I'll call them, one's about 1,000 pages, the other one only 250. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the Roswell Report, Truth versus Fiction in the New Mexico Desert. Well, it was the Air Force that supplied the fiction, unfortunately. <laughs> and not surprisingly, Colonel Weaver, who was uh, wrote the first big report, his specialty, disinformation. Mm-hmm, of course. And he, you know, he even lied about me, and I resent that. You know, so if you can... Uh, take, they, they tried to tabloidize the story, and they were successful in making it sound that way because it gets picked up by other people, uh, noisy negativists, as I call them, nasty, noisy negativists, nasty naysayers, call them what you want. And mm-hmm. when, I, when I discuss the nuclear issue, it's nasty, noisy nuclear negativists. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the point of this is that somebody has to stand up and say, you guys are full of baloney. You're running a delicatessen here. You're shoving out, slicing the baloney every what and which way. <laughs> and somebody's got to say that it's nonsense. And the thing is, I don't have a boss to worry about except me. Mm-hmm. I've had professors say, well, I'll look at that sample, but you better not tell anybody that I did. You know, and I'm trying to give them courage enough to stand up and be counted. And... You know, the last, uh, well, since January 1st, 2007, things have gotten much better, really, because, (laughs) it's a funny reason, because newspapers have become aware that people are interested in flying saucers, not just nuts, but people, and they've been losing circulation to the Internet, not surprising. And so when the Chicago Tribune, a conservative, mid-America, major newspaper, carried a front-page story above the fold on January 1st, 2007, about the sighting over uh, O'Hare Airport by a number of United Airlines employees, and they treated it straight, that story, as they commented a little bit later, led the list. It got more hits on their website than any other story they'd ever published about anything. And it led the list for four days in a row, which never happens. And the reporter, who, interestingly enough, was the transportation reporter, which is kind of stretching it a little bit. But yeah. anyway, wow. uh, he got calls from all over the world for interviews. And it shocked him, it shocked the newspaper, and when the rest of the media heard about it, they gave fairer coverage to several other stories in 2007. One was Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona, March 13, 1997, when the Big Phoenix Lights sighting took place, who suddenly admitted that he had seen it and he had been a pilot and it sure wasn't from this world and so forth and so on. That story got an lot of play. You wouldn't expect that. Who cares in New Jersey about some former Arizona governor? You know, it got a lot of play. It was on Larry King and so forth. The story about the French government 
uh, putting on their website a bunch of French reports that hadn't generally been available. Their website went down in two hours. Well, <laughs> because, I believe that. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, the, I remember that the ministry, too, really. the minister of defense and ministry of defense in England also got a huge number of hits on their website when they announced they were slowly going to be posting stuff on their website. And so that led, uh, I don't know if you remember, in November of this past year, there was a press conference at uh, the, the Washington National Press Club, the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., oh. at which there was testimony from military people from seven different countries, pilots mostly, and uh, they were treated much more seriously than you might otherwise have expected. They've been on Larry King, and there's a new movie going to come out and deal with it. So we're getting there. It's slow. But, I mean, of course, the nasty, noisy negativists will be with us forever. But I'm, uh, I'm hopeful, in other words. My book, uh, Captured, there's another book that came out last year. It's the uh, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. And my co-author, who did most of the work, it was Kathleen Martin, who was Betty's niece and had all her tapes and so forth. And, gee, we must have done, I don't know, 50 interviews, radio interviews, because of the book. And it's still doing well. Uh-huh. It's on Amazon, uh, you know, and it's on my website, too, of course. And if you get it from me, at least you get both signatures. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> Which you won't from Amazon. But uh, it has been well-received. And again, it's part of this loosening up. So I'm I'm really optimistic. I've been at this a long time, and I'm not saying the government's going to release anything, because what it's going to take, I believe, is some adventurous, sharp, young newsman and to get his sponsoring organization, you know, the Washington Post, New York Times, ah, to spend as much effort blowing the lid off the cosmic Watergate as the Post put in on the political Watergate and as the New York Times did about uh, the, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Well, Me Lai and, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, mm-hmm. uh, that story. And that might do it because I think there's an awful lot of guys who'd be willing to talk now. They're so fed up with the government and as a retired general told me when he was 87, he said, Stan, I like what you're doing. If I remember anything more, I'll tell you about it. What can they do to me now? <laughs> Which is a great line when you're 87. Uh, so the, my address and my phone number are on my website, www.stantonfriedman.com. And I better mention, because I had a complaint from somebody, uh, my website, Stanton is S-T-A-N-T-O-N, Friedman, you have to spell it right to get there. O-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh-huh. And I had a guy send me an email and say, well, I can't find your website. Well, he spelt it F-R-E-I. Don't do that, folks. <laughs> right. It's I before E, except after C, or when sounded like A is a neighbor or way. So it's F. Oh, we learned the same rule. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so it's Stanton Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Yes, dot com. Yeah, and it's easy to find. And the, the thing is that there's a lot of factual data around that people aren't aware of. That's the purpose of the new book. Uh, one chapter deals with the large-scale scientific studies that I ask, I talk about in my lecture. And I find, because I ask after I talk about each one, how many people here read this? Uh, typically 2%, if I'm lucky. 
So one chapter deals with those studies. Another deals with the second big objection. The first is there isn't any evidence. And you'll hear that from the, the SETI cultists. You know what SETI stands for. Oh, yes, I, I had read that I I, yeah, on your I, website. I what, what was it again? Silly effort to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Not search for extraterrestrial intelligence. I have a whole chapter about that. I have a whole chapter about science fiction writers, because Isaac Asimov, Ben Bova, and the late now Arthur Clarke, uh, Asimov is unfortunately no longer with us either, uh, they have all said, quite frankly, for bright people, stupid things about flying saucers. Mm -hmm. They hadn't done their homework. And I mention it because a lot of people think that, oh, science fiction writers must be believers in flying saucers. Like heck they are. They're quite not. They worked long and hard to make uh, science fiction respectable, space travel, you know, and all that stuff. They don't want to be tarred with the kook brush that goes with flying saucers, folks, you know. <laughs> uh, and so uh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be covered, and that's what I'm trying to do in the new book because, you know, I'm getting old, and I need, this is my magnum opus, but you know, I'm thinking about another book. You'll get a kick out of this one. It's impossible, isn't it? <laughs> about all the false claims that have been made the guy who showed that it would be impossible to fly except with a balloon three months or two months before the Wright Brothers first flight the guy who showed it would be impossible to put anything into orbit around the earth an astronomer who showed that the required initial launch weight of a rocket to get a man to the moon and back would be a million million tons he was only off by a factor of 300,000 I mean astronomically <laughs> and error to say what, the least. 300,000 between friends. Yeah, you know? sure. And so uh, I, I'm tempted to write a book like that because you want to look around now and see what other claims are being made about impossibility that are as full of baloney as the claims that have been made in the past by smart people talking about things about which they knew nothing. That's usually the problem, you know. Uh, and there it's amazing. We take for granted now a whole bunch of things that when they were first enunciated, uh, continental drift, for example, the guy, anybody who looks at a, a globe sees that, gee, you know, South America and Africa seem to fit together, kind of, you know. Right. It's just, if you were to push them together and so forth. Anyway. It really looks it like, like a puzzle. It does. Like, it would snap yeah. right in. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that guy put up with uh, all kinds of harassment for suggesting such a stupid thing. Do you know, I had my own impossible moment where I I thought something was impossible, yet it, it ended up coming to pass. I was reading a book by Edgar Cayce, or not by Edgar Cayce, but by Jess Stern about Edgar Cayce. And about he, Edgar Cayce. And he was, a, 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 you know, he would go into a trance and then make all these predictions yeah. and things. And one of the things he said was that communism in Russia will fall, uh, in the USSR w would fall. And I, I, I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that is absolutely impossible. They're the number, well, of course, to us, they were the number two superpower. And, of course, I'm sure to them, we were the number two superpower, you know, because of the you know, the, the propaganda machines. But yeah. um, but to, to us, they were the number two superpower. It was a well-established country or, you know, a series of countries. It was just going to be, uh, it, it was going to be there forever, as far as I was concerned. They're our enemy, you know, and, and it was it, it drilled into my head. And, and I was in college, and, and sure enough, guess what? 
The fall of communism in Russia. I had an impossible moment where I was proven wrong. I, I so it it definitely can can happen. You just make all these assumptions, and and there you go. We only have like four minutes left, Stanton, and uh, I just want to let people know how busy you are, <laughs> because if if they can't tell already, uh, I want to let them know you're going to Aztec, New Mexico. Um, next week. Next week. And talking about uh, the new book, the, the upcoming book, Flying yep. Saucers in Science. You're going to be on a the number of other speakers. Of course. And that's, uh, which is going to be amazing. So March 28th through 30th um, in Aztec, yep. New Mexico. I'm sure that's on your website. The, uh, yes. You're going to be on the Queen Mary on April 27th. Interesting thing about the Queen Mary, Stanton, it's haunted. Oh, really? Yeah, so watch out. See if you have any extra people listening to your, uh, listening to you talk, <laughs> you and, you and Kathy talking about, uh, captured the, uh, Betty and Barney Hill story. Um, uh, I mean, UFO experience, because if, if, just see if you can see through any of your listeners. That's all I'm saying. All right. <laughs> uh, and but then, you know, in, in June, look, see where I'm going to be in June? In Kansas City, right? Yeah, and the people involved in that are mysterious universe kind of people, and there's some ghostly people going to be speaking there, too. That's going to be interesting. And then, of course, uh, you know, the 4th of July weekend, I'm going to be stalking you all over Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> so I'm wearing that pink shirt, you know, that says Stanton Friedman is real, and... Uh, uh, so, so watch out for me and get security, you know, to surround you. Um, so you, you are super busy, uh, and, and I think that that's fantastic because you, you, you certainly haven't slowed down since we talked last. Yeah, and I, that was and a I few years ago. That. Well, you know, I, I, I'm healthy. I'm lucky that way. I've never spent overnight in a hospital. Well, I guess I did when I was born, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But also, uh, my parents both lived to be 89, so I got 15-plus uh, years to go and good health. You know, I should be able to do it. But when you like what you're doing and you're your own boss and you live right, you know. <laughs> I live in beautiful Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, which this year is at 11 feet of snow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's really easy on the nerves there. Yeah. <laughs> There's three feet of it still in my front yard, you understand? Wow. And this is springtime, it says here. It was down to uh, 12 degrees today. Uh, but, Toasty. you know, how can you not be happy living in a town that last year declared August 27th Stanton Friedman Day? we got to put that, that on our the, calendar. Yeah, no kidding. That, it's, a, it's a holiday. That was the mayor and the city council. Now, I didn't even get a free cup of coffee out of that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, they know. they honor you, and I think that that's fantastic. And, and th that's what surprised me is that I did 16 interviews as a result of that proclamation all over the place, and everybody was friendly, which was really astounding. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. We have to close the show, Stan. I, I, I do want to thank uh, you so much, Stan. I want to give out the website. Yes, pleasure. stay on the line though. Stan, yeah, don't leave us just, just a yet. moment. I do want to okay. give out the website is www.stantonfriedman.com. And for those who don't know that rule, I before E except after C or under like A as a neighbor and way. It's S T A N T O N F R I E. 
D-M-A-N dot com. And uh, so thank you so much. And before Stanton, we got to talk to Dan Gordon. Oh, yeah. Of, baseball. of hauntedbaseball.com. Thank mm. you so much, Dan. And uh, thank you, everybody. Everybody go to www.ghost and then the number two, ghost.org, and, and link up to the myg2gspace.com. Yeah, Richard Clonch's new project. And see what Richard Clonch has going on. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening to Ghostly Talk. Independent music rocks. I have been Doug. I've been Scott L. I'm still Bonnie. And we'll be back next week with more madness. 